This is Media Industry Conversations. I'm your host, Kyle Rather. This speaker series is part of a course in the Department of Radio, TV, and Film at the University of Texas at Austin. Students hear from industry professionals who talk about their experiences, knowledge, and thoughts on the changing media landscape. Today's guest is Hugh Forrest. He's the Chief Programming Officer for South by Southwest, the huge festival which draws thousands to Austin each March and features luminaries in music, film, and interactive technologies. After growing up in Austin and returning from college, Forrest joined a small group of organizers who started the festival. Since then, he's seen it grow from a tiny event to a premier annual attraction. Forrest has worked closely on the interactive side, growing it from a small set of panels in the early 90s to one of the most attractive and buzziest parts of the event. He describes the growth of South By, changes in the festival's direction, and his insights into how media, entertainment, and technology continue to shift. He spoke on October 2nd, 2017 on the UT campus, and the conversation was hosted by Elisa Perrin. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Yes, hello, one person. Uh, Thank you all for joining us for another installment of the Media Industry Conversation Speaker Series. I'm happy to have as our guest today, Hugh Forrest, who is the Chief Programming Officer for South by Southwest. Uh, Before I give a little bit of an introduction to him, I just wanna say a few thank yous. Um, First off, I want to thank my colleague, Cindy McCreary, for her assistance in organizing this, as well as Wen Hong Chen for her assistance. And our fabulous team of grad students in the back, Brett Siegel, Kyle Rather, Annie Major, and Britta Hansen. I also want to thank the RTF faculty and staff for their support, especially Paul Steckler and Tom Schatz, and Alana Wakeman for her assistance marketing, as well as Dean Bernhardt and Assistant Dean Mike Wilson. I think I got through all of those. Uh, And you see flashing up here some of our upcoming guests, and you can also follow us on Twitter at RTFMIC. Okay, enough of that. So, uh, let me give you a little bit of background about our guest, and then he will share much more with us, hopefully, about his experiences uh, organizing South by Southwest Interactive and how it's evolved over time and his career trajectory. Um, He's been involved with South by Southwest since 1989. Uh, That's crazy. I know, that is crazy. Uh, So I'm sure there's lots of stories to be told, which I look forward to hearing. And in addition to his role with South by Southwest, he can also speak a bit to his experiences uh, with Austin and the sort of entrepreneurial and tech community here, perhaps, as well as uh, his experiences serving on the advisory board for the Pointer Institute for Journalism, which I'm excited to hear about as well. Um, And just to see the ways that both South by Southwest and Austin have evolved together over the years. Uh, So uh, I'm looking forward to learning a little bit about not only your career trajectory, but your uh, various roles and responsibilities running South by Southwest these days and uh, giving our students some advice. Uh, And then we'll open it up to questions for about the last 20 minutes or so. Okay. Uh, So before we dig in, I believe you have some materials you want to show? I have materials, homework. Okay. Um, All right, lesson number one, I am the least technical person in the room, so this could be a (laughs) challenge, but still a challenge. There we go. Okay, I'm just gonna give you guys a very, very 
brief intro, and uh, by brief, it's mainly South by Southwest videos, which are always much more exciting to watch than hearing me blather away. Um, that's me. That's some kind of made-up title for whatever this thing is. Most important thing there. <laughs> email address, hugh at sxsw.com, or follow me on Twitter, which I'm sure you guys are much too young to use at this point, or much too old, however that works. But tell me what the kids are using these days. All right, first of all, thanks, thanks, thanks for inviting me to uh, speak to you guys this afternoon, this evening. Um, thanks uh, for coming to hear me talk. It is a honor and a privilege to be able to share some of my journey um, with you guys and what I have learned, and what I haven't learned, and the mistakes I've made. and hopefully the, the growth that that has entailed. I hope that I can give you something of value. There are three little asterisks by that because I can give you something of value. If I don't, if I, if we don't bore you in the 45 minutes of uh, Q&A, um, we'll will have a South by Southwest trivia question at the end. And if you get the right answer, you win a free badge for South by Southwest. So. <laughs> That is incentive to stay awake, despite how boring I am. Um, I'm sure I can learn much more from you guys than you guys can from me, uh, but for the next, again, 30 to 45 minutes, we will pretend otherwise. Um, just a few bits of housekeeping since I have a captive audience here. Some important upcoming South by Southwest dates. Tuesday, October 10th, a week from tomorrow, we announced another 20 or so big name speakers. That'll be on the website. Some pretty cool folks that I'm pretty excited about there. <coughs> Tuesday, uh, that should be Wednesday, October 11th. Poor proofreading here. First round of showcase announcements, i.e. South by Southwest music performers. Um, we have a thing that we've had at South by Southwest for the last three years called the David Carr Prize. People familiar with who David Carr was? Yay, at least one. <laughs> David Carr uh, unfortunately passed away three years ago. He was a columnist, writer columnist for the New York Times, was very involved with technology, spoke at South by Southwest a lot, and a um, big part of the event. So we have crafted a prize that honors his legacy and his memory. Um, I believe it is a 2,000-word essay that... Uh, the, t the focus of the essay, and it can be either essay or it can be fiction, is in the future, how do you detect what is fake and what is real? Kind of somewhat uh, apropos to our 2017 in America. If you win that, you win a free badge, you win free airfare to Austin, which you don't need since you're in Austin already. <laughs> you win a four-night hotel stay, which you know might be fun also. But anyway, that's on the website, David Carr Prize. Deadline and applications Friday, uh, October 13th. Uh, Monday, October 16th, we announced the bulk of, of programming content for South by Southwest 2018, meaning somewhere between 500 and 700 sessions. A couple of important deadlines on Friday, October 20th. If you're a filmmaker, if your friends are filmmakers, that is the deadline for entering your film in the South by Southwest Film Festival. If, you're a if you are a musician or your friends are musicians or you know people are musicians, get them to apply for a South by Southwest showcase. The deadline on that is also Friday, October 20th. 
A, week la a month later, Friday, November 20th, is the deadline for the South by Southwest Accelerator Pitch Event. Um, so if you've got a startup or friends have got a startup, you want to get involved with that. That is also the deadline for entering the South by Southwest Interactive Innovation Awards. Um, there's another startup-related event uh, that we have called South by Southwest Release It. The deadline of that is Friday, January 19th. And then flash forward a few months, Monday, March 5th through Thursday, March 8th are the dates for South by Southwest EDU 2018. EDU is our relatively new education-focused event focused, again, on innovation, new ideas, new thoughts, new approaches in the education space. And then South by Southwest week is Friday, March 9th through Sunday, March 18th. That is a long, long time away, about 160 days or so, a little bit longer. But again, to set a little more of a mood and atmosphere and ambiance and excitement that's much better than me talking, let's watch a couple of videos. The first video is our sizzle reel for South by Southwest 2018. Given that you guys are in Austin, you're probably fairly familiar with this stuff, but it's still a kind of cool video to watch, so here we go. Behind every great idea, there are countless points of inspiration. New connections, innovative visions, personal points of view, an amazing hook, an unbelievable story, new friends, a new perspective, and the moment when it all comes together. Unexpected discoveries lead to groundbreaking ideas, and it all happens at South by Southwest. Okay, video number one done, and video number two to give you a little more context still. Here we go. What I'm trying to do is to get inside your soul and see what it is that you really are trying to say and help you say it better. The cool thing about the internet and social media, it is your own platform. You have your own entire platform to tell a story and to tell your truth and to tell other people's truth. I'm Alexis Sohanian, co-founder of Reddit, tech investor, author, and lover of Austin, Texas and South by Southwest. I think I just gave my fourth talk at South by. It's always a fun time and there's always there's always some new energy, there's always some new buzz, and, and it's great to have an audience here that's so, so keyed in. I'm Joel Green. I work at the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I'm the project scientist in the Office of Public Outreach, so my job is to bring that science to the world, and South by Southwest is one of the best places to do that. It's about challenging myself to go to sessions that I wouldn't necessarily think about going to in the first place, because that's where I have the conversations or the thoughts, the ideas that will provoke me to be more innovative and more disruptive in the work that I do. When we're surrounded by people who look like us, we don't think as hard, and we don't prepare as hard, and so we don't get the best ideas. 
never, ever, ever listen to anybody who tells you something's impossible. Because if you never give up, you sometimes can join the Rebel Alliance and help blow up the Death Star. I love what I do, and being surrounded by these types of change makers just makes me even more committed to, to pursuing my work and, and helping to activate other people to see that they are capable of this type of impact and this type of message themselves. I was asked why I was going down to South by Southwest to talk about cancer. You're some of the most innovative minds in the world sitting in front of me. All right, movie time is over. Back to boring me. A um, couple more points of information, uh, particularly for you guys. We have a much more aggressive plan for trying to get more students, such as you guys, involved with March Magic in Austin. For 2018, the student badge rate is 625 per person. Compare that to non-student rates, which are anywhere between 825 and 1650. You must have a valid student ID to get that student rate, but wait, it gets better. This is a Ronco commercial after all. Buy one student badge at 625, get a second student badge for free. So with this BOGO rate, um, the effective cost is 312.50 per student. Pretty cool. We like having young people at the event. Young people are doing very, very cool and innovative stuff, and we think that this is a way to get more young people, more young energy into South by Southwest, so all good. Um, some other opportunities to keep you guys apprised of that don't even require a badge. We have a thing called the South by Southwest job market. That is free, no badge needed to attend. You have to get a South by Southwest guest pass, but that's just an online sign up. Takes 30 seconds, free to attend. That is March 10th to 11th at the Austin Convention Center. Uh, we typically have about 50 different exhibitors there. Um, a lot of whom are in the tech space, but various other things that are looking to hire people. So uh, it's a uh, good thing to uh, check out if you're looking for a job, which I presume some of you may be after this year, after next year. We also have a thing called South by Southwest Create, which is our kind of version of Maker Fair. That happens March 10th through 11th, Saturday and Sunday, March 10th through 11th at the Palmer Events Center. Um, that is free and open to the public, no badge needed. Again, you, you'll need a guest pass, but that is easy sign up. You can actually sign up on the spot to get that. Uh, we have South by Southwest Gaming. That is not free, but it is very cheap. It is $20 a day or $39 for a three-day pass. That is a, a exposition. Uh, that is various uh, panels and presentations, plus an award show that happens at the Austin Convention Center. That is March 15th through 16th. If you like poster art, uh, we have flat stock, which occurs at the Austin Convention Center March 15th through 17th. Lots and lots of poster artists from all across the US and all around the world uh, showing their wares there and selling their wares to you. That is free. And also uh, great music at the South by Southwest Outdoor Stage at Auditorium Shores. That is March 15th through 17th. Also, uh, lots of volunteer opportunities. Uh, if you want to work for a badge, uh, put in a certain amount of hours and get a free badge that way. You can find out more about that at volunteer.sxsw.com. That is the end of my slides for now because I'm going to say there's, you can buy a badge, or you can go free, or you can answer the trivia question and get a badge for free, but we're going to do that after we talk. Good? Great. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. I'm going to segue back to the computer. Sure.
Woohoo! Hey, yay. Okay. Well, thank you for that intro. And uh, because you laid out so many things that you We're do. Done? <laughs> Go home. Because you laid out so many things that you do with South by Southwest, sort of here, maybe before we back up to your beginnings, we can just briefly hear what the scope of your responsibilities are these days in broad strokes, and we can dig a little <coughs> bit more into it then later. Well, I, uh, <laughs> up until a few years ago, I was the director, sorry about that, I was the director of the South by Southwest Interactive Festival, and then my role changed a little bit such that I became chief programming officer, which means I now oversee programming for interactive music, film, conference, i.e. daytime stuff, as well as the music festival, as well as the film festival, as well as various other things. Um, so that sounds really cool, sounds really fun. Uh, what it really means is I have a lot of meetings and I answer a lot of emails. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the uh, sexy world of South by Southwest. Um, <laughs> uh, no, the, the most fun thing I do, or the most rewarding, the most, um, you know, the, 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 the reason why my job is fun is being able to um, interact with very, very creative people, um, whether those are people that are on my staff or people that are speaking or, or um, on the occasions where we're able to get some big name speakers such as seen in the video. But, but again, I mean, so much of what we do is just hammering away at details and um, uh, so, uh, that is lots of meetings and lots of emails. But that's most of the creative industry is when you get right down to it. So it's good <laughs> to hear what those. The good news is <laughs> by the time these folks are, you know, five years older, ten years older, we'll have robots doing all of that. And we can just sit back and watch TV, right? <laughs> um, so is it pretty much your year is spent preparing for the week of South by Southwest? Are there other activities kind of interspersed and events that you're involved in outside of that? Or the two weeks of South by Southwest, really, or however long it spans at this juncture? You are, yes, you're pretty much correct. We, uh, I have never worked on a campaign, a political campaign, but I imagine this is similar to working on a campaign where, you know, a year, two years, three years is all focused on one specific time. Uh, time. Uh, after the event is over in March, um, we spend a little time resting. We spend a lot of time reading feedback of <laughs> what went right, what went wrong. Um, the event, we've been lucky enough to scale it to such a point it, um, now that there's you know a lot of stuff that you didn't even know happened until you start reading, absorbing feedback. Um, but by, you know, early to mid-June, we are uh, pretty much, um, you know, focused on next, next spring. Um, and uh, we start accepting speaking proposals in uh, early July um, for a I mean, one of the weaknesses of that is that, of, that of, a, of a system like that is that, particularly in technology, you know, if you're nine months out, there's a lot that can happen in technology in that space of time. Um, but at the scale that we're doing South by Southwest at this point with a thousand total panels, more than a thousand panels, 
you really have to have that amount of time. Plus, I think that you know, many of the best presentations, many of the best speakers at South by Southwest or at other events, similar events, are speakers that are not talking about you know, the hottest new startup, but more talking about the creative process, about how you innovate, how you think of new ideas, what inspires you to wake up in the morning and um, where you learn new ideas from, you know, what the trends are five, 10, 15 years down the line. Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed by the size and scale of South by Southwest, even from when I lived here 20 years ago. And so am I, so am I. <laughs> and, and maybe we can kind of go back in time Let's doing the do Wayne's World thing or something, uh, which again, three people in the audience would understand <laughs> that joke, but anyway. Um, Okay, so let's let's back up and sort of talk about, I know you're from Austin originally, right? I grew up in Austin. I am a townie. Um, <laughs> I went to Cassis, then O'Henry, then Austin High. Wow, great. And so you didn't go to UT? I did not go to UT. My dad was a prof here for 50 years, so I kind of went to UT by wow. proxy. Wow, wow. Uh, I went to a small liberal arts college in Ohio called Kenyon College. Um, and you majored in English, is that correct? It had a very good program in English, which is one of the reasons I went to Kenyon, but the real reason I went to Kenyon uh, was because they recruited me to play basketball, and that's much more exciting when you're... <laughs> gotcha. What you're gonna major in. So, okay, uh, what were you thinking about, I guess, probably being a basketball player <laughs> at the time, but how did your interests evolve and sort of how did you initially end up at South by Southwest? What was the trajectory that took you to that point? Well, to be clear, it was it, Kenyon is Division Three, so it's probably like a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of intramural teams at UT could probably uh, have, uh, you know, given us a run. I was an English major. Um, I, you know, had this idea that I would become a writer. Um, uh, I was accepted into this program at the Pointer Institute in Florida, this six-week program for like intensive uh, journalism training for liberal arts majors. Came back to Austin after that. Um, my, my roommate and I had started a newspaper at Kenyon, a monthly newspaper, and I thought, well, that was pretty easy. Let's try to do that in Austin. So a couple years after coming back, I started a publication called the Austin Challenger. Um, mind you, this was before the Challenger disaster, so it was a kind of a good name at the time, I thought. It was a monthly publication. Um, uh, well, I'll, an alternative public, I, I screwed up the punchline. Uh, it was al an alternative publication, not because of its politics, but because of its publishing schedule. It aspired uh. to be monthly, but we really came out about every six weeks. Um, it was, you know, the kind of thing that you might do in the 1980s if you were 21 or 22 or 23 years old, meaning that it never made any money. It would, uh, you know, it was, Guaranteed a life of five days a week eating ramen, the other day eating peanut butter and jelly, um, you know, but it, it, you know, kind of cool thing to do. Um, I, uh, it's interesting that, I mean, particularly in thinking about this, this interview, how that 
kind of trajectory, trajectory works in some ways. I, when I started out the Challenger, um, you, the way you got the, the printing, uh, your, your galleys done is you had to you know, go to a typesetting service and they would print out these galleys and you'd paste them down. Um, midway, I mean, after about a year, that was when desktop publishing first came out. Uh, and my dad, again, was a YouTube prof, convinced me I should, that I, we should buy a Mac and a laser printer and he would finance this and I could eliminate one of my biggest expenses by doing this stuff myself. And of course, being 21 years old and thinking I knew everything, I said, oh no, I really have to have that typesetting. It's, that, that quality is really important to the overall quality of the publication. And then six months later, I was still losing lots of money and I said, okay, well, let's buy the, the computer. <laughs> But so it, I, we, we bought a Mac, Mac Plus, and LaserWriter. And, and I, again, what's kind of interesting about that is, you know, in the 90s, late 90s, 2000s, when blogging first became a thing, we said, well, now you can, you know, control your own publishing. But that was the whole, that was right. the whole promise of desktop publishing right, right. a decade before. You don't have to have a typesetter anymore. You can, you know, print your own newspaper. So that was kind of cool. But, <clears throat> uh, while the story is convoluted and uh, and whatnot, it, it is central to the whole South by Southwest experience because I got hired at South by Southwest. Uh, I was the first full-time hiree. Uh, I got hired because I had a computer and they didn't. <laughs> I had a and this Mac was 89, right? Yeah. yeah. I had a Mac Plus and it was like literally three weeks before, the, before South by Southwest number two was supposed to start. I got a call from my friends at the Austin Chronicle. We were kind of friendly competitors. They said, can we put our database on a computer? And I said, well, that's what computers are for. <laughs> there was a little bit of pause, and they said, well, how about your computer? So, <laughs> and, of, and of course, the founder of, one of the founders of South by Southwest, Liz Black, was your competitor, right? Sort of? Friendly competitor. Friendly competitor. We, we were no threat. To Austin that. Chronicle was yeah. what Liz Black also runs. Um, and just stepped down from that, I guess. Correct, correct. Um, so how, just out of curiosity, so we can get the sense of the scale and scope of South by Southwest now, like what is the staff size of South by, the year-round staff for South by Southwest? Well, again, when I came on board in 1989, we had one computer, I think maybe one fax machine, and I was the, there were quite a few volunteer people, but I was the only paid person. At this point, we have about 200 full-time year-round um, wow. people working. <laughs> So it's grown quite a lot. I mean, as compared to successful startups, that growth is not all that impressive. But uh, I, I <coughs> never could have imagined way back when that it would grow as much as it has. And you know, some of that growth was uh, well-planned strategy, but a lot of that growth was just happen happening, <laughs> just being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah. So. In, when you came into it, what what was it like in the early years there? Um, and what were you doing? <laughs> well, I was doing. Uh, I was again because I had this Mac Plus, which, I mean, Mac Plus is about that of our iPhones, right? Um, because I had a Mac Plus, I was deigned to be the computer person, so I was. Uh, doing most of the registration stuff, which at that point, you know, was basically data input. Um, 
and I was doing, you know, we were doing small print jobs. I was doing that using the desktop publishing, uh, designing those by the desktop publishing stuff I knew. Um, we were a very small staff at that. I think the first year that I got involved, South by Southwest was, um, you know, a hundred bands over the course of four or five nights. That's still a lot of bands, mm -hmm. but as compared to where we are now, where there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 bands. Um, wow. <coughs> much, much smaller. So the music came first. Is that correct? And then film came next, or was it, how did it sort of evolve, and how, what was your involvement as it evolved? Uh, correct. South by Southwest started in 1987 as a music-only event. Right. Um, and it's kind of funny, and particularly in relation to, to where we are tonight, uh, the name. Um, <coughs> the two of the four founders of, the, of South by Southwest were uh, RTF, um, nerds, geeks, however you want to phrase that, and they were uh, big fans of Alfred Hitchcock, whose favorite, whose, one of his, one of his best movies was... Oh, North, North by Northwest. Northwest. I oh, never knew on. that. Scoop bite. Yeah. So... No, I was just like, <laughs> what? How did I not know that? <laughs> so it made sense, or when they were thinking of names, they, ah, South by Southwest. Personally... Put your pen down now. I think that one of the reasons South by Southwest the worked, I mean, the name sounds like sex, you know. And <laughs> 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 resist coming to Austin when something that kind of subliminally sounds like sex. Um, <laughs> that's what I there you go. <laughs> In 1994, we added what was then a combined multimedia and film event. Um, I had left for a little while to, to work on another project in Austin. I got lured back in when that project went out of business, lured back into South by Southwest. Um, again, because I had this computer way back when, I thought, well, why don't you help manage this multimedia thing, which I had no idea what, even less of a concept of what multimedia was then than I do now. <laughs> um, in 1994, multimedia was, uh, uh, kind of state-of-the-art was CD-ROMs, and we thought CD-ROMs or CD-ROMs were the future at that point. Um, at that point, it's, it's interesting uh, in relation to some of the sh slides I showed, we were very focused on how CD-ROMs were going to change education um, and how they would be used in education. Uh, I distinctly remember, <laughs> I distinctly remember, I don't remember the exact year, but it must have been uh, 1997 or 1998 when and it just sounds so foreign now, but when we were training people how to get on the internet, I mean, just how to log on, which, again, just seems like kind of like eating, drinking, breathing at this point, but at that point, it was completely foreign. Um, all that said, uh, this thing called multimedia, um, it was really hard to find an audience. Uh, it, you know, I frankly wasn't all that enthusiastic about the education market, and I also just didn't see how it fit in fit into the greater South by Southwest picture. And I and many times I would go to my boss or go to my dad or go to my girlfriend at the time or whoever and say like, "Why are we doing this multimedia thing? It doesn't make sense. We've got you know 
rock stars coming in for South by Southwest. We've got film stars coming in, all these people from Hollywood coming in for South by Southwest. And over here, I've just got these geeks, and no one cares <laughs> about the geeks. They don't mix it all with this other audience. It just doesn't make sense. And I'd tell that to my boss, and he'd say, oh, well, just try one more year, and maybe it'll begin to make some progress. And so we kept plugging away. One of the funniest stories then, um, <clears throat> which is evidence of the scale or lack thereof of uh, multimedia, or by that time we changed the name to interactive. Um, this was back when print media was more of a force than it is now. <clears throat> and I remember the statesman, and I, I hope I kept this somewhere, the statesman had a, uh, American statesman, obviously our daily, uh, had a you know a little teaser on the top of the front page, which was um, something like March Fun coming, and it was music, film, rodeo, interactive. Behind <laughs> 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 we rodeo. Like, wow, we, you know. So yeah, what are the what were the other sort of feature technologies or discussions? That, can you remember in the in the mid to late nineties when you were doing this? Again, it was a lot on you know uh, what's the future of CD-ROMs? Um, you know how to get education content on CD-ROMs. Uh, we would we were we had a little bit about you know how is the internet going to change everything? Uh, you know, I was always much more interested in doing sessions where you had like a science fiction writer talking about the the future, um, and that kind of worked, but kind of didn't. Again, we, we really, really struggled um, to find our voice, to find our audience for this, quote, multimedia thing. Again, we changed the name from multimedia to interactive as a way to, because that seemed a little more, you know, uh, with the coming of the internet, that seemed a little more reflective of that. Was um, that in the late 90s, or? Yeah, yeah late 90s, uh, but, you know, in this startup world, um, there's this concept or this this phrase called the valley of death, which is when you have this great idea, you know, I'm gonna be the Uber of blank blank. <laughs> and uh, you, uh, you know, go live with your minimum viable product website and then <laughs> Nothing happens. No one buys. No one pays any attention. So that that's quote the valley of death. And if you can survive that six month, nine month, twelve month, fifteenth period, fifteen month period, and then finally you begin to get some business, then maybe you are lucky enough to be one of the ten to fifteen to twenty percent of startups that survive. <coughs> so what was for, oh, for, sorry. for us for multimedia for interactive? We essentially had a ten year valley of death. We started in nineteen ninety four. And you know we tried everything possible for ten years and just could not grow at all. And we would not have survived if there was not this big music event that was essentially paying the bills and keeping us afloat. What were the what was the attendee sort of what were the attendee numbers then versus now? Because now it just feels like the whole town is taken over by South by Southwest. But not true at all. Not true at all. <laughs> I know that's something that Austin locals complain about, right? <laughs> don't don't. You know, negatively influence their opinion. Oh, um, it's positively spun. Ah, good. Um, in those days, you know, if you gathered everybody who had a badge for multimedia or interactive in one place at one time, you know, maybe it was 
500, 700, 1,000 people. Wow. Um, by the same numbers now, it's you know more like 30,000 people. So, I mean, it seems like the dominant force now. Well, what's interesting, um, but makes total sense in terms of where we are, is that, uh, again, interactive, multimedia slash interactive would not have survived some extremely difficult times if not for this big music event that was, you know, paying the bills and could support this this thing that wasn't. <clears throat> 20 year, 15, 20 years later, that is completely flipped. Um, and the technology part, i.e. interactive, um, is probably the most dynamic um, portion of the event. Uh, whereas, you know, music and film that, that are parts of the event centered on traditional content media are having a much harder time adjusting to the <coughs> digital age. Yeah. So again, that, that flip has been switched. And, and back to my story about, or my thought about, you know, music stars, film stars, geeks. <clears throat> I mean, my boss kind of understood this or understood this much better than anybody else. In 1995 or 96 or 97, <clears throat> it did not, it wasn't completely clear that everything was gonna become technology by you know, 2005, 2010. Looking at it in retrospect, yeah, it's totally clear that all that stuff was gonna, CD-ROMs were gonna, uh, CD-ROMs were gonna go away, CDs were gonna go away, Blockbuster was gonna die, everything was gonna move to Netflix and you know, yada, yada, yada. In retrospect, it makes complete sense and we were very well positioned for that whole digital revolution. But again, at the time, it, it did not seem like it made any sense at all. So what were, I mean, obviously, we hear a lot about Twitter as being a moment, but like, what do you see as sort of key moments for it exploding in the way it did? Uh, exploding again sounds negative, and we don't. Oh, I mean that. It, I think of it positively, but all my, all my terminology about, is meant to be positive. How about blooming? <laughs> blooming. <stuff>. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we really uh, our growth spurt, growth spurt for interactive. Uh, we, we enjoyed this ten-year kind of hockey stick of growth from 2004 to 2014. We've we've certainly leveled off since then, probably because the event has just kind of reached capacity. Um, there are many, many reasons for that growth spurt, but uh, <clears throat> if you, to me, the, the two top reasons are social media and startups. Um, and as you said, we were lucky enough or not to have Twitter kind of launch here in 2007, and that was a huge moment for us. Um, but even before then, and here we can uh, fool everyone in the audience now, we, uh, 2004 we had a speaker by the name of Jonathan Abrams. Anyone know who Jonathan? So <laughs> <laughs> we got one. <laughs> um, Jonathan Abrams had, was the founder of this site called Friendster. Um, Friendster was the precursor to MySpace, MySpace, you know, Facebook, wow. yada, yada, yada. I had seen him on a late night talk show. It was like, wow, this guy's kind of weird. And this whole social media thing, maybe that makes sense. And so somehow I was able to track him down. 
Um, and we were able to pull him in as a keynote. That was our first big push into social media. Um, other story that is humorous or not humorous, um, but is also reflective of where we are in 2017. <clears throat> he, during his keynote, he said a number of things that were offensive to about half the audience, if you understand what I'm saying there, many of whom left the, you know, got up and left his keynote. Wow. Um, uh, Strangely enough, Friendster didn't grow a whole lot after uh, that. I don't think that South by Southwest had too much of an impact, if any, but uh, I think Friendster still exists in Brazil or something <laughs> like that. But it, you know, uh, eventually gave way. And, and uh, you know, again, we started seeing this little bit of growth, 2004, what, what is this? What is, I mean, why are we suddenly growing when we didn't grow before? And, and then 2007, again, Twitter, kind of launched at South by Southwest. I say kind of launched because they actually had launched in the summer six months before South by Southwest, but they said that they kind of called South by Southwest their coming out party. So that was really our kind of turning point. Um, the fact that Twitter uh, had such success at South by Southwest made more and more startups want to come to the event. <coughs> Um, to achieve the same kind of success. It made more and more VCs want to come to the event to discover the next Twitter um, and, and just set us on a whole different trajectory. Um, uh, in retrospect, the, the Twitter thing has been somewhat of a, uh, a mixed blessing because, um, you know, for the next 10 years, there was always some kind of media story well, what's the next Twitter at South by Southwest? There is no more Twitter at South by Southwest, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and I certainly think that, you know, in, in context of our, pres our current president being a heavy Twitter user, it's maybe less a sexy story than it used to be, <laughs> for lack of a better term uh, or better uh, phrase. But, but what is also interesting about Twitter and about some of the other technologies that have done the best at South by Southwest are they are technologies that um, helped registrants, helped attendees understand and absorb the event. Um, so Twitter, I mean, at that point, you had to be really, really smart to understand that 10 years later, a president would be using Twitter to you know, call out North Korea. But at that point, in 2007, people were using Twitter to understand what their friends, what parties their friends were going to, right. where they're having breakfast, where they're having lunch, where they're having dinner. Uh, South by Southwest was much smaller in 2007, but it's still kind of hard to know where your friends are. So it was really good for that. 2009, Foursquare and Gowalla both launched at South by Southwest. Foursquare has, you know, kind of tailed off a lot since then, but same kind of thing. They were, these were check-in apps so you could see where your friends had gone, where they checked in. Um, the most recent startup that got a lot of push out of South by Southwest was Meerkat, which was this um, live streaming app, uh, which is no longer, it's changed now to Party of Five or something, it's uh, uh, pivoted to that. But <clears throat> Meerkat, very much a, a precursor to Facebook Live. And again, people could use it during South by Southwest to broadcast what they're doing. Hey, I'm at this party. 
hey, I'm at this great panel and um, help people absorb and achieve the event. So, you know, I, I always tell, or, or if you're a startup, if you want to make a huge splash at South by Southwest, figure out a better way for people to absorb the event, to understand where their part, where their, which parties their friends are going to, and you too can be rich. <laughs> or something like that. So, what, I'm curious if you have a sense of what kind of people are attending. Like, what are they attending for? Like, how much of it is startup type? Are they from all, I mean, I know people come from all over the world for this. Um, what's sort of your sense of the attendees of South by Southwest Interactive? Well, it's the attendee, the, the mean or medium, uh, median demographic has certainly changed a lot uh, in this during this growth spurt and, and um, last few years, um, you know, we we uh, ten years ago we were mu we were much better at attracting students and young scrappy startups. <coughs> it is uh, honestly harder for students and young st scrappy startups to attend now, simply because the badge costs more and because hotel rates tend to increase during Austin during. March in Austin. We still get a lot of startups, but proportionally it's not as big a part of the event. <coughs> we have um, lots of VCs coming, uh, although I think that's very cyclical on whether they think that, you know, South by Southwest is the place to discover the hot new app or whether it's somewhere else. Um, one of the, uh, the, the, the demographics that is growing the most at South by Southwest at this point are um, people in the branding and marketing industry, um, which is a total shock to me, uh, simply because we always did our best to kind of alienate these people and try to scare them away. And the more we try to scare them away, the more they keep coming to the event. But I, I do think it makes sense in the because brands and marketing and mar brands at this point have the most resources, particularly financial resources, to sponsor bands, to sponsor filmmakers, to sponsor, you know, young young startups. And um, there is certainly a, a big part of me uh, that doesn't like that, that doesn't <laughs> like that, that there's so much sponsored things or sponsored content. But at the same time, I, I kind of understand that's um, how a lot of the world works at this point. Otherwise, I mean, I think one of the big values of South by Southwest and the big um, things that attracts people is we've got very, very creative people from many, many, many different type, types of industries here. And you've got largely this tech sector, you've got the film community, particularly independent film community, you've got the music community, but within those big, big buckets, you've got all kinds of people. We're certainly seeing a lot more um, uh, big growth from the health professionals coming to South by Southwest. <clears throat> you saw that in the uh, Joe Biden speech from last year where he was talking about the cancer moonshot. We've got lots more government and policy people coming to the event. Um, uh, the government and policy people want to understand the startups and what they're doing and how to get ahead of the next Uber, um, that type of thing. Uh, we've got uh, lots of journalists and media people coming to the event. Um, some of them are covering the event. Some of them are t attending the event to, to learn new trends. 
so if there is one theme here that that you know that unifies all these people and and theme that hopefully hasn't changed a lot since 1987 is that they're you know very very creative people who are doing creative things trying to meet other creative people at South by Southwest in a very creative city yeah well and, and connected to you know Austin like how much are you engaging or have you engaged with the Austin community the creative community the startup community the entrepreneurial community in getting ideas or being involved with the festival well I think that or I know that I mean one of the reasons that South by Southwest has been successful, one of the main reasons, is uh, this city, um, city of Austin. It could, it might be able to happen somewhere else, this thing called South by Southwest. It might not. We've tried doing events in other cities, and it, they've never been as successful. Um, I think you can see how South by Southwest very much aligns and follows the strengths of the city. When we started in 1987, you know, you had this very strong music, alternative music scene here. And you had people from all over the U.S., all over the world, come want to come to South by Southwest because they'd read about the Austin music scene, wanted to hear these bands from Austin and from elsewhere. We added this, you know, uh, this film and multimedia event in 1994 because you had this emerging film community particularly with you know, Rick Linkletter and um, yeah. various others, and, and, you saw, and you're beginning to see this emerging, uh, this emerging and mainstream tech scene, mainstream being uh, Dell and emerging, you know, the various Dell spinoffs, that type thing. Um, I mentioned that we're seeing uh, more health content yeah. um, and health focus at South by Southwest. I think there are many reasons for that, not the least of which is just so much of new technology is focused on health. I mean, you know, your watch that can take your pulse or, or measure other body functions, um, the whole quantified self movement, um, nanotech, being able to, you know, uh, do things like that. But, but even more importantly, the fact that we've now got a Dell Medical School here right. in Austin, um, I think means that Austin is going to, the the long tail of that, uh, it means that Austin is gonna be, evolve and transition much more into a med tech, biotech um, hub in the next, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years. And, and in that sense, you know, South by Southwest will likely follow that transition and change. Yeah, that makes sense. So what other, are there other sort of trends or things that you're noticing right now, technologies that you're particularly interested in that uh, you're watching out for that can you preview that you're <laughs> that we might see? Well, I can tell you things that we, you know, will will be hot, quote unquote, at South by Southwest 2018. Uh, you know, this is uh, I, unfortunately I'm not telling you anything that most people in the room probably don't already know, but certainly um, I joked about it a little earlier, AI is a huge, huge push, um, artificial intelligence. Uh, we had a lot of artificial intelligence panels and presentations last year, and almost all those had, you know, big crowds, big lines to attend. What is, you know, <laughs> interesting or funny or dark humor about those AI sessions is that 
half of them were saying, you know, the world's going to be a much better place with more AI, and half of them were saying that no robots <laughs> are going to become our overlords, and we're all going to be, you know, um, uh, eliminated, uh, systemically eliminated. Um, we'll see more, even more of that AI stuff in 2018. Um, closely related to that, you know, certainly innovation, disruption in the transportation uh, ecosystem is huge, whether that be um, what we've seen in Austin in the last year with ride sharing, leaving and coming back again, or certainly self-driving cars, which um, will be coming soon. Uh, but then that extends to like, you know, commercial space travel, um, the, the uh, realities of, of something like that, or, you know, even, you know, how soon can we get humans on Mars? Um, other things that, again, will be big, uh, again, this big push towards health, um, healthcare. Mm -hmm. uh, there's this idea that, um, you know, the, the new interface, uh, most relevant interface is the human body, um, and that we have more and more technology that uh, more and more uh, allows us to improve, enhance, hack our human bodies. One of our keynotes last year, I think she was in the first film, was this woman named uh, Jennifer Doudna, who is the co-founder of this technology called CRISPR, which is this gene editing, gene splicing technology, which will essentially allow us or enable us or empower us or whatever verb you want to use to edit um, or potentially allow us to edit our own DNA, um, much like we edit code at this point. I also think, uh, you know, in terms of buzz topics that um, I certainly don't understand. This guy seems like he's really <laughs> understand. No, you. Oh, me. <laughs> um, Wait. All things blockchain will be big for 2018. Um, uh, but again, I mean, some of the things that, you know, aside from flavor of the month, flavor right. of the year, flavor of the decade, the, the things that are typically most popular at South by Southwest, at TED, at lectures at UT, wherever, are people who can talk about the creative process. And we can, we can joke about AI and joke about robots, and they are coming what robots can't do well yet um, and probably won't be able to do well for a long, long time is be creative, be innovative, think differently. And, and that's, you know, where humans can continue to create the most yeah. value in whatever uh, particular task you're, you're doing. So I'm curious how you, how you decide, you have such a breadth of amazing guests. <laughs> Both creative people, entrepreneurial people. Non-creative people. Non-creative people. They're no. the ones that the most. <laughs> people who, uh, anyway, yeah, how, how, how do you uh, decide who to invite or how do you make your programming decisions these days? Well, for the past decade or so, we've used a kind of modified crowdsourcing approach to programming. Uh, we have an interface that we designed um, called the South by Southwest Panel Picker. Yeah. Um, and this allows anybody with an internet connection to suggest a panel or presentation topic. Um, the impetus for doing something like this, again, I'd been doing the programming for many, many years and always found that the best programming was, you know, not me thinking, oh, we ought to do a programming on, uh, 
blockchain, you know, I wonder who the experts are. It was better programming when a blockchain expert came to me and said, hey, I want to put a panel on, and I got three buddies who are, you know, blockchain experts also. And so how to make that process more formal. So the um, panel picker process, again, invites anybody in the community to, to enter a panel idea or a solo idea. Um, all the ideas that are <coughs> received are then posted on an interface. The public can vote on them, simple thumbs up, thumbs down, kind of, you know, Reddit upvote system. Um, we typically get about 5,000 total speaking proposals. Of those, about 500 to 700 are accepted, so it's very, very um, accepted as part of the event. It's very, very competitive. Uh, I think, I personally think it's a great way to get programming to leverage the community, leverage the power of the experts, but it also is just simply a great way to, you know, measure the community. If, if um, uh, I'm gonna shift away from blockchain because I've talked about that too much, but, you know, for instance, in 2005, 2015, we had, um, if you do, did a search of the panel picker database, you found like three proposals that had the word Cuba in the title or the description. A year later, there were 15 proposals that had the word Cuba in the title or the description. And that was when you know the Obama administration was beginning to open up Cuba. There was this whole idea of like, startups, go to Cuba, you know, and, and so that, that little kind of micro trend was like, you know, it's really interesting. Wow, we should do more stuff on Cuba. We went from three proposals to 15. And so it's a great way for us to measure what our particular community is thinking about, is talking about, is interested in. Um, and I think that's, that's helped us stay fresh. Now for the big name speakers, yeah, that, was sort of um, that is, those tend to be curated. Um, meaning that we reach out to them. Uh, it's neat that, you know, these days, um, we, if we reach out to big name people, more often they return our email or return our phone call than they did 10 or 15 years ago. But even at that, um, you know, it is more often than not that those things are delivered by someone in the community. Um, as an example, <clears throat> three years ago, yeah, three years ago, we had um, Edward Snowden speak via right. Skype from, right. from Moscow. Um, that was, that was the, a, a group coming to us saying he's interested in speaking to South by Southwest. Would you guys want him to speak? And yeah, that, and that was the ACLU. Was yeah, yeah. So that, that is often the case where someone's like, hey, so-and-so is interested in speaking, would you like to have him speak? And, and you know, that's the power of a community, that's the power of the internet, which, or Facebook, or whatever platform you're using now, where it's easier to reach people than it ever was before. Cool, uh, thanks. I'm gonna ask one more question, then open it up for the audience. I know that you were on the um, advisory board for Pointer. <laughs> And the challenges of journalism, Asbury, uh, sort of what I was thinking. I'm wondering if you can speak to your experiences a little bit with that, and uh, especially just what was being wrestled with and what you engaged with. Uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be on the National Advisory Board for the Pointer Institute at a four-year term, which expired last January. Again, this was pretty cool because I had been a student there yeah. five years earlier. And the fact that they wanted me to come back and quote advise was really interesting. Um, 
certainly, uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm blind any trust by saying this, the Pointer Institute, like every other, <clears throat> well, Pointer Institute was largely funded or has largely been funded by the Tampa Tribune. Tampa Tri Tribune, like every other newspaper in America, you know, went from being this robust kind of cash cow to um, Craigslist comes around, everything else comes around, all of a sudden they have hard times. And Pointer was, you know, how do we reinvent ourselves in the digital age? And so um, they thought I had some expertise or interest or uh, in that. And um, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. It was fascinating to, to be involved with this process. You, you know, would, would do a two-day meeting every year and uh, hear the discussions there. I mean, one of the things that, that I had suggested, which they ended up implementing, was um, they had this big building that, you know, had been fully occupied uh, when they were in their heyday with 100 employees. And when I got there, they were down to 40 employees and had all this empty space. And the idea was, well, why don't you put startups in these, um, you know, media-related startups in this empty space? And at worst case, you can just get ideas from them or, or, or give ideas to them. At, at best case, maybe something, uh, you know, comes out of this uh, giving startups this office space at a very low cost or, or free and that they, you know, they uh, become the next Twitter and you somehow ride their coattails to, uh, to greater things. Is there anything that you find especially exciting about what a newspaper company or print journalism, I can't even say print journalism, <laughs> uh, is doing these days? Um, I mean, I don't read print anymore. I, I yeah. presume most people in this room don't read print. Um, uh, that said, you know, I think that um, there's a lot of pretty fascinating stuff being, uh, that's going on in this space. I was, um, uh, you know, part of the pointer experience was meeting a lot of people from the Washington Post, um, which has become, you know, kind of, led the, the, the push to become much more data-driven yeah. um, with Bezos involved. Um, theoretically, they have a little bit of a more highbrow approach to data than, say, a BuzzFeed, or at least what a BuzzFeed used to be. BuzzFeed is kind of morphing more in their direction. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, again, certainly the, the attention to data is, is um, something that is relatively new in the journalism world. Um, I think it's also, uh, I mean, just reframing the discussion a little bit, um, also interesting to consider South by Southwest. We are essentially an, a, an event organizing company. We organize this event once a year in Austin. We have been involved with other events that haven't been quite as successful. Um, and the event, you know, was, has been successful, has been fairly profitable. Media companies have watched that. Now almost every media company is doing events also, and this, you know, two weeks ago, the Texas Tribune Festival here on campus, which is a cool, cool event, has grown quite a lot. <clears throat> the New Yorker does a festival at this point, the Atlantic does a festival. I think where we need to move, we need to move from becoming an event company to more of a media company, that, you know, we're not just doing 10 days in March, but have year-round content, and figure out some way to monetize that year-round yeah. to to uh, to you know evolve to our 
the place we need to go. So, so that's interesting. Uh, you know, one of the things when I was on the pointer stat, or a pointer advisory board is they said, well, should we start an event? And I was like, I, I, I don't know that if you're having financial difficulties, I don't know that that's the right thing to do just because events are very, very hard to, to get going. You have to have some deep pockets to withstand some pretty lean years. We, we don't have a lot of time left for questions, but hopefully we can get a couple at Good. least. Uh, Annie's ready to, to take a question if someone wants to. Oh. So I'd say that many have speculated that we are currently living in a tech bubble. <laughs> um, and I, I just wanted to ask you, um, with how startups come up and go down all the time, if, if there's anything that you've seen that would be could be defined as like the tenets of a sustainable startup, something that would almost certainly become profitable or successful. A, a startup itself or, or the? Yes, and that could be like tech startup or media startup. Again, the, the, you know, the startups, the percentages are so poor on startups that uh, I, I, you know, I don't know that there's any, um, any qualities that you can say that separate them from others. I think that from my own experience, working on essentially what was a startup, um, and, and again, I mean, small nugget of advice for, for whatever you're doing now, or post-UT or whatever, is, you know, uh, my biggest talent is simply persistence and, um, <laughs> and just pushing and pushing and pushing. And, and you know, uh, when my boss told me try it one more year, I didn't march out of the office. I said, okay, we'll try it one more year and just keep sustaining. And, and um, uh, you know, on the one hand, I think you achieve what you want by having a, uh, having some kind of goal in mind and not being de deterred uh, and keeping, uh, deterred in your your pursuit of that on the other hand um, knowing when to pivot is also a good thing <laughs> uh, and to your issue to your question about the the tech bubble you know typically our economic cycles have gone in seven and eight years um, you know we haven't we're due for one soon um, this is kind of scary <laughs> given all the various political issues. Um, what's also scary uh, or, or interesting is that as a native Austinite, I mean, Austin has always been fairly resilient to um, oil booms uh, and busts, other booms and busts, because you had two biggest industries were you know, state government and UT. Now that the city's grown so much bigger and we have so much tech in the town, I think will be impacted more if there is a um, downturn. So let's hope there's not anytime soon. Hi, uh, my name's Gabrielle. Uh, nice to meet you. Glad to be able to be here to hear you speak. Um, I was doing some reading on you for my class, and I came across a short piece that you wrote on Medium um, regarding the trial run of the Twitter increase in the uh, character limit, um, and you had written specifically about the concern for hate speech on the site, and um, I guess the the complications that come with monitoring and managing 
that on a social media platform. Um, so my question is, in our reading, we're discussing different regulations that come about, and one of them is just self-regulation and societal kind of constraints. Um, uh, promotes presence of or absence of self-regulation on a social media platform? Um, well, I think that the absence of self-regulation is, is the anonymity of social media, that you can um, say things you wouldn't say to people probably when you're sitting next to them and not have a whole lot of consequences for that. Uh, and, you know, that was, that was a dream or an idea that we thought was gonna be great that you'd have on anonymity. Um, but again, that's proved to be one of the, the, the big challenges um, with particularly these social media platforms like Twitter, which are struggling a lot. I mean, uh, it is a great medium, again, for find out where your friends are going to lunch or what parties they're going to. It's also a great medium to, you know, get your message out there. But when it is filled with so much toxicity and hate, that's, they can't grow users that way. And that's what any platform is all about. So you've got to, you know, yes, Twitter has done some things where you can flag posts that you think are inappropriate. You can block users. But you've got to make that more transparent. You've got to, they've got to be more aggressive in terms of pulling this stuff down. You know, that, that is obviously a huge, huge task at the scale that they're at. But, you know, uh, absent of doing that, they are, they're, they're never going to, to grow to where they want to go. And they're, you know, get purchased by Amazon or get purchased by someone else, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, their business model is Yeah, and I think they're, you know, that's obviously a mixed blessing. <laughs> um, and not enough of a negative blessing that they want to do anything about it. Well, on that positive note. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, end with something more positive than that. What's, what's one more positive piece of advice you might have for everyone? I wish we had a little more time for questions. I'm sorry that I uh, uh, Okay, my positive piece of advice, which is self-promotional, certainly, but... Um, if you stay in town in March, if you don't go, aren't lucky enough to go to spring break, you know, try to take advantage of South by Southwest in some way. If you've got the resources to purchase the badge, great. If you don't have the resources to purchase the badge, there are lots of free things you do, you can do. You know, there are creative people from all over the U.S., all over the world, coming to Austin at South by Southwest. Figure out a game plan of what you want to accomplished during the event, figure out how you can do that. If you want to meet Elon Musk, figure out what hotel he's staying at, and, you know, camp out in the men's room there or something. But, um, and I think that's a truism for, for life and do as I say, not as I do, but, you know, come up with some kind of plan of what you want. It's totally fine to change your plan every year, every month, but, uh, you're much more likely to achieve what you want to achieve if you have a plan as opposed to kind of being aimless. Well, that is a very positive <laughs> advice. <laughs> Again, do so as much. I say, not as I do. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Media Industry Conversations. 
For more information about upcoming speakers or to hear past guests, visit rtf.utexas.edu slash mic or follow us on Twitter at rtfmic. I'd also like to encourage you to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. If you love the show, let us know. The series was made possible by the work of Dr. Elisa Perrin and Cindy McCreary, with the assistance of Brett Siegel, Britta Hansen, and Annie Major. And the program was produced and edited by me, Kyle Rather. It's been a production of the Department of Radio, Television, and Film in the Moody College of Communication at the University of Texas at Austin. Hope you join us again for another media industry conversation.